Well, hello, hello, Beat Check listeners. I am your host today, Shane Dixon-Cavanaugh, Portland City Hall reporter with the Oregonian Oregon Live. And joining me today is a delightful colleague of mine, education reporter, Julia Silverman. Julia, hi. Howdy. How are you? You know, I'm all right. Um, Like most parents here in Portland, which is uh, you two, you and me, uh, we're on pins and needles waiting to see what's going to happen with the um, potential for a teacher strike. And that's what we're here to talk about today. Unless I'm in the wrong room. uh, (laughs) I know this is a very special beat check episode. We usually have these things come out on Mondays, but this is... Uh, going to come out much sooner than that because we've got a lot to talk about. I think families and parents and just readers and Portlanders have a lot of questions about this potential uh, Portland teachers strike, which if I'm not mistaken, this would be the first time in the district's history that something like this would happen. Is that correct? Correct. And so, you know, we could totally, of course, be getting ahead of ourselves. The district and its teachers union, the Portland Association of Teachers, or PAT for short, are currently in a all-day negotiating session, um, and they have another one scheduled for tomorrow. We're recording this on Wednesday, October 25th. So they have sessions scheduled for the 26th, the 30th, and the 31st. The strike is, if there is one, is scheduled to start November 1st. So the fact that they're meeting four times between now and then is pretty optimistic, I think. Less optimistic is the fact that the two sides have filed competing unfair labor practice uh, complaints Uh against each other with the State Employee Labor Relations Board. Um, So I I wouldn't say that... um, you know, I would say relations are frosty at best. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I just a quick note for our listeners on the format for today. Earlier this week, uh, Julia in particular, but I helped a little. We, we, we put out a call to readers and folks who are interested in this potential strike to come at us with questions that they had that Julia could sort of help walk us through an answer with uh, an appropriate level of depth and context and all of those good things. And we actually got quite a few responses, didn't we? Sure did. And is it weird that hit me with your best shot is in my uh, <laughs> head right now? Because that is what our readers did. I, I was kind of shocked, actually. We've got a ton of questions to wade through. Thank you to everybody who submitted. Um, we'll do our best to answer as many of them as time allows for. And my plan is to post an FAQ on the Oregonians Oregon Live website um, with a transcript of this podcast and maybe some bonus questions that we uh, didn't have time to get through. And we're also going to have links to a lot of Julia's excellent reporting on this topic, as well as links to some recent uh, editorials that were written both by members of the Uh, PPS School Board and the Portland Association of Teachers president uh, sort of really detailing their positions at this time, which I thought both were really, um, you know, invaluable in terms of what they were, the the level of depth and detail that they're each providing. So I'm going to include that in the show notes as well. And before we jump into these questions, and Julia is absolutely right, we 
heard from a lot of folks, and that is excellent. Why don't you just give us a quick sort of high-level overview of where we're at with the impasse here in particular? What are the key sticking points? Sure. Why, so might, the, this, why might this uh, strike happen in a few days? So the two sides have been bargaining um, uh, in earnest, I would say, since last January. Um, and the biggest sticking points are, as you might imagine, wages, not benefits, because like most government employees, PPS teachers have pretty great benefits, and they know that. Um, wages and planning time, um, with, meaning the amount of time that each teacher has to spend doing things like grading and prepping for the next day's lessons and communicating with families, and also um, class sizes, although that last one is, um, there's, is a little bit more nuanced, uh, and, and I think we'll probably get into that as we talk. Um, the teachers came to the table in January with a pretty, you know, as they're, they're correct to do, cause they're responding to their members, um, with a, a, a pretty sig- an ask for a raise of about 21, 20 and percent, uh, cost of living increase over three years. The district offered, um, a fairly, uh, a, a much smaller one, seven and a half percent. Since then, the district has moved a couple times and they are now offering about 10.5% over three years, plus um, some incentives for special education and new teachers. The teachers union hasn't budged too much and teachers union president Angela Bonilla tells me she just can't. She doesn't think her members will accept anything less. So let's jump into some of these questions now, uh, beginning with Jeremy, who sent this via email, and I'm just going to read this question to you verbatim. And uh, Julie and I went over these er, uh, previously, so I don't think there's going to be any real curveballs here, but, you know, great range of questions. So this one from Jeremy says, as a PPS parent, I want to understand the trade-offs. Does the Portland Association of Teachers agree with PPS assertion of what would happen to afford their proposal? If they don't, then what is their roadmap to affording this and avoiding catastrophe down the line? Oh, man, Jeremy, you didn't let me off easy. And we got um, versions of this question from a couple people. And I'm not surprised because it really is the $64 million question. I I thought it was closer to $200 million. uh, (laughs) So funny. Um, So, okay. Uh, Yes, indeed. $200 million. So, you know, this is a really difficult question to answer. I took a stab at it and I'm not an economist, but um, I took a stab at answering it in a recent story and found that there was about a $200 million gap between what teachers want paid for over the next uh, three years and what the district has available to spend. That's a lot of money. And um, the PAT's solutions for where to find that money are to spend down the district's reserves, their rainy day fund, which has been allowed to grow, you know, pretty significantly, um, giving Portland a a pretty significant financial cushion. It's currently at about 12% of the overall budget or just uh, over $100 million. Um, 
And also, they have suggested cutting uh, bloated administrative spending and um, purchasing and contracting for services. So those are the three areas that they have identified where you could make cuts. It is possible to um, do some of that, I think. It is possible, and the district has already, in fact, planned to spend down some of its reserves to take it down closer to about 5% or about $40 million. Um, Some of that's already spoken for to meet operating costs this year. Um, It is certainly possible, I'm sure, to cut some administrative fat, But I guess I would caution that um, a school is an ecosystem, right? You can't have a school without payroll and human resources and an information technology department and custodial services and a curriculum department and all the other parts of a big city school district. So those people are not the ones in the classroom teaching your kids to read, but they are integral to the day in, day out functioning of the school district. My point here is you can't cut administration to zero. You could try to freeze salaries. You could Uh, And um, administrators, by the way, um, say last year, the district says that last year administrators got a 3% raise. So that's, you know, lower than um, what they say they're, what they're offering to Pat, PAT. And so, and and I'm going to piggyback here because this ties into uh, a question from another reader. This was from Brian and Brian writes, it would be nice to know what the average pay of administrators is at PPS uh, to be able to compare that with the teacher's average pay. Is that something you can break down for us a little bit here? Another super great question. Thank you, Brian, for that. It is a difficult one. And I asked the district about this directly today. Um, I think um, one way that we can answer that is to look at the salary of Superintendent Guadalupe Guerrero. He earns $322,000 a year, and he's guaranteed 3% yearly raises or COLAs. And then he gets... um, Another twenty-four thousand to thirty-six thousand a year paid into his retirement account, um, into a retirement annuity, and the district pays uh, for his car-related expenses. So, like that's that's good money. It's way more than I make. It's way more than you make. Um, it is, however, not. I mean, I think there's there's sort of a tendency to think of this as like, oh man, those district fat cats. Look, you can live really well in Portland on Guadalupe Guerrero's salary. He is not the CEO of Netflix or GM or Ford. This isn't like private jet money, right? So um, the question about the average teacher salary, PPS says with its current offer on the table, the average salary for a teacher would be about $87,000 through a school year. So I think that that takes us to, well, how many days a year do teachers work? Um, And the answer to that is 192 days. 177 of those are days that students are actually in school. So, um, you know, because remember, teachers technically get a pretty decent vacation package, right? Although, of course, as many teachers will tell you, some of them work summer school or some of them go to school in the summer to um, brush up on their credentials and credits. So, um, yeah. 
Now, um, I think another question that I feel like we saw quite a bit of, Shane, is, um, well, how do how does PPS's salaries compare to other districts in the metro area? Are right. you getting and that I, one? Yeah, I am. And I was just about to jump into that. So this is from Deep T sent us an email at Deep T writes, I was wondering if the claim that the 10.5% raise over three years will bring salaries on average to $87,000 for teachers is accurate and how that stacks up to other average teacher salaries in similar districts. Same with school year length and teacher planning time. How does it stack up to other places? So I think that's what you're yep. asking about. School year length is generally pretty similar in Oregon. Um, it's usually around 176 or 177 days. It's a little bit below the national average, which is about 180 days. Um, but, you know, each one of those days costs money. Um, in terms of looking at other districts, um, the teachers often cite Beaverton. It's a pretty good close comparison. It's um, close in size and uh, similar housing prices. Um, teachers, senior teachers in Portland currently max out at $97,333 a year, whereas Beaverton senior teachers max out at $105 thousand four hundred and seventy dollars so there's a significant difference um, in their current pay raise and, and PPS teachers are, are right about that one and um, first year teachers in Beaverton also make more than their counterparts in Portland but um, by under the district's current offer its first year teachers would be better pay, better paid than um, Beaverton or anywhere else and um, by the th contract's third year, uh, senior teachers would max out at $107,391, um, start making them the highest paid in the metro area. And so here's a question that I had, and it might not be one we can answer right now, but talking about similar districts, is there a way to look at, uh, or able, are we able to make accurate, almost apples to apples comparisons between Portland public schools and say Seattle schools or San Francisco or Los Angeles. Again, I'm thinking West Coast cities, high cost of living. And, but, you know, cl clearly there's different real estate markets in each of those places. And so it might not be quite precise to talk about districts in other so the answer Large. is yes and no. <laughs> Each of those states funds schools differently. So mm -hmm. it's not really um, useful to draw that comparison in terms of the money that schools are getting right from the state or from, you know, local property taxes. Um, but I do think that you are seeing um Similar issues rise to the surface in bargaining negotiations in large urban districts, in particularly progressive cities. So Seattle teachers went on strike last year for about eight days. There was a strike in Oakland, California. Um, there's currently there's um, where the folks in Fresno, California, which is in the Central Valley there, are in a very similar position to where we're in right now. And you're seeing a lot of the same asks and issues rise to the surface um, in all of those districts. And, and I know that in the metro area, I believe teachers in Camas, Washington, and in Vancouver have gone on strike 
re relatively recently as well. Are there any sort of comparisons or parallels we can draw between what we saw in those places, since that's kind of close to home, and what might unfold here in Portland? Again, not really, just because the way Oregon funds its schools are so different than the way Washington funds its schools. And so this next question comes from John, and John writes, Hi, Julia. That's so nice. That's me. That's you. If there's a strike, my wife and I will likely be handling some of the daycare for our granddaughters who are pupils at Scott School. One's in fourth grade, the other in first. Any word as to whether teachers will be sending home any sort of curricula so the kids can try to stay on task during the time away from the classroom? Oh, man, John sounds like a glutton for punishment for me, uh, to me, at least anybody who went through distance learning during COVID um, <laughs> knows what I mean. Um, I, yes, I know. Don't don't at me. I know there are people who um, really enjoyed comprehensive distance learning. My family, not one of them. Um, the answer is no, uh, really. Um, teachers are not going to be providing assignments. Um, they're there is going to be, and there always are, like online resources available that you can use at home with your kids. Like I think the reading program is called Lexia. The math program is called iReady. And you might have, um, you know, the ability to log into Canvas. Uh, um, that should be the platform that PPS uses. And, um, you know, get your kids started on some of those, they call them self-directed le lessons. But um, if I were John, I would check out Khan Academy. I'd check out Duolingo and maybe I'd like go to the library with my kiddos and um, do a bunch of babysitting swaps with friends. So this question is from Irene C and Irene writes, why are the teachers allowed to put union signs in the windows at the public schools? There are plenty around the district, including Jackson Middle School. I have sent the district several emails asking why and there is no response. Thank you. Thanks, Irene. That's my mom's name. Um, well, you know, this is a tricky one because the district and the uh, uh, union actually had a little dust up about this. Um, the Anybody who went to a back to school night this year might have seen um, union supporters handing out leaflets and flyers um, with information about the um, bargaining from the teacher's perspective, um, and the school district has been pretty firm about you are not allowed to um, distribute leaflets like that on school property unless they have been approved by the district. Now, our esteemed editor, Betsy Hammond, points out that plenty of teachers have for years put up stuff in their classroom without having the express approval of the school district, for example. You might have a Black Lives Matter sign up or a, um, a pride flag up. And, um, you know, the I don't know that the district has said yes to or, or no. You know, I'm not saying that PPS is anti-BLM by any means. Again, don't at me. But um, teachers generally have a decent amount of discretion over what they're putting up. Um, if the signage just says, you know, I support teachers, it's um, relatively innocuous. But it is true that PPS has said you cannot distribute, um, you know, fl specific flyers unless they um, have been approved by the district on school property. And now this next question is from a Daniel Isaac. I believe it's Isaac. It's E-I-Z-Y-K. Daniel, if I 
mangled your last name, forgive me. And there's a little bit of a wind up to this question, but I do think it's it's certainly one I'm sure a lot of parents and families are asking right now, and it's a, and it's a pretty good one, but it's a little lengthy. So I will uh, read it with haste. It Hello is there. lengthy like your intro. Sorry, couldn't resist. Oh, well, you know. <laughs> <sighs> Hello there. My question is, why has PPS chosen to ensure that varsity sports are going to continue during the potential strike? Don't the same arguments for keeping these competitions and practices going apply to JV sports? What about things like debate or con law competitions or chess teams? Who made the decision that varsity football, for example, was more important than these other activities and what was their rationale? Lastly, from the teacher perspective, aren't there any coaches of varsity activities that are also teachers? Would they be crossing the picket line by choosing to work for the district while the strike is going on? What about JV coaches who are sidelined? How do they feel about their varsity coach peers being treated differently than they are? Whew, Daniel, tell me how you really feel. Uh, and also, I feel you because my son's on a JV team at a PPS high school. Um, I asked the district this exact question. Um, and they say, well, um, it's both a clear-cut answer and a not-so-clear-cut. Varsity, at this point in the schedule, varsity athletics um, are the only ones that are continuing on, right? Because we're hitting the playoffs. And also, um, importantly, fall sports are outside. So the reason that you're not getting to do, say, fall performances, and I know a kid in Grant High School who's really upset about the theater, shout out to Griffin, Um the reason that you're not getting to do performance or chess club or con team or debate team or whatever um, is that those uh, activities primarily take place inside and school buildings will be closed. Um, but, uh, you know, sports, most sports, especially in the playoffs in the fall, are done outside. Now, winter sports is a different story. And I think it's just a big question mark as to whether, first of all, we don't even know if there really will be a strike. But if there is one, it's really hard for me to imagine it lasting all the way to the start of the winter sports practice season. We'll see. And, now, what, about the, and what about this part of Daniel's question where they are asking whether or not uh, teacher, there are varsity coaches who are also teachers and what position are they put in if, if that's the case? So the district says, we are not sure how many coaches who are PAT members will continue coaching. I think that one is on the coaches. I'll just note that a lot of coaches have like assistants who are um, community members, sometimes their parents or their volunteers um, who may not be represented members. So they may be the ones to be taking over from the sidelines. It's called the sidelines, right? I don't really know so much about sports ball, but that's what I think. There you go again. You're talking about sports ball. <laughs> Oh, Who, me? <laughs> yeah. For folks listening to this, Julie and I have had a few conversations about sports ball, as she calls it. But <laughs> don't, 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 have, don't, don't care for it. <laughs> we don't have to get into that right now. So uh, for this next question, before I rattle it off, you're going to have to do a little translating for us, Julia. What is SPED and what is PSPF? SPED refers to special education mm -hmm. and PSPF is, oh, the 
Portland. Um, I, it's the it's the union that represents um, non-licensed staff members. So people like paraeducators and um, school secretaries and um, you know cafeteria cafeteria folks um, and mm-hmm. and others. And wait, oh my gosh, I should have looked this up. Read the question, and I'll look it up and yeah. remember so the acronym. M- Michelle is asking you, Julia, to answer the following. I am curious who will be crossing the picket line for quote, grab and go lunches and or driving students to athletic events. These three unions are in solidarity with each other. What about the teachers aides and SPED assistants? What will they do if uh, PAT strikes? Do they also have strike funds for their members? I believe PSPF is an, is an, sorry, is at an impasse as well. Will they strike with PAT? I'm sure others like me are curious. Could you write a follow-up piece? <laughs> so many stories. Okay, so PFPSP, gosh, stands for the Portland Federation of School <laughs> Professionals, and they represent a range of clerical staff, admin assistants, school secretaries, paraprofessionals, occupational and physical therapists, and campus security agents. Wait, did you, did you just read that off of an about page online? I sure did. How could okay. you tell? Right. Um, and the answer is... Um, Non-union members will be working during the spi- during the strike, and uh, according to the district, and the district will be communicating directly with them about their specific assignments. So I think really the answer is, um, you know, somebody who is normally a paraeducator could be assigned to, for example, work on grab and go lunches. And I think it will be up to those people whether to decide whether they want to cross the picket line. Um, and, um, you know, whether they, you know, what, what they want to do. I do know, and this is a little bit of anecdata, but I have a friend who's an EA at a, um, elementary school. Hold on. Is anecdata a thing? Uh, Totally. Um, anyway, my friend, Melissa, hi, Mel, is a, uh, EA over at a school in Southwest Portland. And she was telling me that she's volunteered to be, she's, she's volunteered to be one of the people who, um, gives out grab and go lunches. And she talked about it with um, members of the the teachers union in her school. And I think the conclusion is, you know, you're not a scab if you're um, getting food to kids who might otherwise not eat. So um, I think there's going to be some allowances made for folks who are doing that kind of work or for folks who are, for example, staffing student health centers at the district's high schools. Like these are, I mean, schools are nexuses of incredibly important services for children. And, you know, there's really no clearer evidence of that than how much the reports of abuse fell off, right, during the early days of the pandemic, because um, kids weren't there at school with people who saw them and who knew something was wrong. We've got a few more questions here. And Hit then me. We can, yeah, and then we can wrap up. I think that I think this has been great. I've really enjoyed this conversation. If we can call it a conversation, I'm mostly just asking. I'm just talking other, at you. <laughs> no, it's great. Well, uh, but and all I'm doing is just asking other people's great questions. But here we go. So this is from Brittany. Brittany wants to know what demands and concessions have been made so far. Now, I know you touched on this slightly, but get into it a little bit more. 
Yeah. So um, I, I think that it's instructive to talk about the last offer. As I said, the district has moved on salary. Um, they have gone from seven and a half percent to ten and a half percent plus bonuses for first year teachers and special education teachers. They also gave a little bit on planning time, and um, the teachers union wants four hundred and forty minutes of planning time um, per week set aside for all of its members, um, kindergarten through twelfth grade. And the district has said, well, we can't do that. Um, it would cut too deeply into student instructional time because just think about it, right? Like if teachers are, you know, working on planning out lessons, that's naturally time that they can't be with students. And, um, you know, somebody, you can't just have a whole school full of students running rampant, right? Um, although, and I'll get to this in a second, there are, um, the teachers union says there are other ways to um, create more space for planning time. But... Um, the district offered 400 minutes for um, elementary teachers only. So that's one concession that's been made. Also, both sides have moved a little bit on um, discipline issues. And this, you know, if you follow my coverage, you know that like particularly since COVID, there's been a lot of dysfunctional behavior issues at schools. And you, you really see schools really struggling to try to cope with this. And in fact, a lot of the spending and the increases in staff um, that uh, PPS and other school districts have made over the past two years is in people who help with social emotional learning and behavior, whether it's campus safety or restorative justice or just a, a broader investment in school counselors. Um, so the district has um, agreed to provide spaces at every school where a kid can go to calm down if they are having a huge meltdown. Teachers say this is already happening, but it often happens in a hallway. And so now there could be like a, a, a place, <laughs> a room. Um, but the question of who will staff that room and whether somebody is going to be hired for it or whether it's somebody from, from the office at the school, that, that hasn't been answered yet. Um, and then the teachers have um, backed off a little bit on their insistence that um, students who have physically assaulted a teacher be um, suspended for a minimum of five days, um, and um, have, which is something that the district had really sought. Um, and if you, you follow the debate over mandatory minimums, you know that, um, you know, it's often students of color and special education students who are, um, you know, disproportionately suspended or expelled, which can have a real impact on um, their futures. So that's where we've seen some concessions. Um, I wanted to circle back to planning time just because it is such a big ticket item. Um, the last time I talked to Angela Bonilla, who is the head of the Portland Association of Teachers, she was talking about, um, you know, maybe like fewer principal-led staff meetings as one way or, or fewer like mandatory, hey, meet with every other teacher at your grade or subject level um, and, you know, giving some of that time back for teachers. She was also talking about at the elementary level expanding time that students spend in what we call specials. Do you call them specials at your kids' school, Shane? They like might. music, art, yeah, I, <laughs> electives. I specials. TV, specials. Wow. Fun, art, the fun stuff. Art is special. <laughs> yes. Well, art is special, Shane. Jeez. Just don't be such a grump. Um, so, uh, you know, she was talking about extending the, um, you know, you know, being being willing to be creative with scheduling so that students could spend more time in specials and um, freeing up their classroom teacher to do more planning time. So, um 
you know, there's a, there's a lot of conversation, I think, going on about planning time. And it's really, honestly, that one has been one of the hardest topics to pin down because it is so expensive. Um, the teachers union says, has, has said in their costed out summary that it would cost $139 million over three years to um, get them where they think they need to be in planning time. And um, they've pointed often to Beaverton, which they say offers significantly more, um, you know, teacher teacher directed planning time each week. But it's 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 a little bit confusing because another district might call something one thing, but but really have it mean something else, if that makes sense. So I've really struggled to unpack um, the planning time debate. I don't know if I I feel like I'm letting everyone down. I don't know if I have the best answer there. And. And please forgive my ignorance on this one, and it's related tangentially to the planning time question as well. So at our PPS school for my two kids, they go to school from starting at 9 o'clock in the morning, and they end their day at 3 p.m. Are we talking about planning time only during those six hours, or is some of that planning time before nine o'clock or after three o'clock, because, you know, when we look at our kids' school day, it's, it's six hours. It's both, and, Shane. They want, they, they want both. They want your teachers to both be able to have more time during the school day while your kids are at school to be able to plan, design lessons, figure out how to meet each kid where they're at, communicate with families, give feedback on assignments, and they want um, more time, like like days built into the calendar that could be um, days set aside for grading or planning, which um, most parents out there hear as, oh, a day that I need to figure out something to do with my kids. Mm-hmm. So Gwen here asks, if the strike ends up being lengthy... Do there have to be makeup days at some point to reach the state mandated minimum days of instruction? Gwen is asking the other $200 million question. Um, Gwen, I'm really sorry, but we won't know the answer of this one till we know how long the strike is going to be, if there's going to be one. Um, broadly, though, I can tell you that um, the Oregon Department of Education requires that students spend a minimum number of hours in school every year. It's something like 990 hours for most students. And... Um, it's a little less for seniors and I think a little less for kindergartners. Somebody out there can correct me if I'm getting that one wrong. Uh, and if you want to deviate from that, you need to get a waiver from the Oregon Department of Education. So if we're out of school for one to two days, I wouldn't necessarily assume that that's something that we would seek a waiver for. Um and don't forget that there are usually days built into the calendar to make up for any snow days. So we're having a, which one is it? El Nino, La Nina, which is the one that makes it rain, not snow. We're supposed to have that one this year. El Nino. So maybe, yeah. El so maybe, Nino. yeah. Again, weather kind of like sports ball. One of those confusing items. Remind me to tell you how I don't understand tides anyway. Um, so I'm going to get to the final question here last, but certainly not least. And I'm just going to go out and say it. I just keep hearing Jerry Seinfeld sort of asking this question, and it's not written this way, but I, I, I'm thinking... What's the deal with soup? Is yeah, it that? Yeah, no, what's the deal? So <laughs> what's the di- It's what's all this about the district spending $6 million on furniture for the central office? 
Oh, what's the, I'm what's, so what's what's the deal with the furniture? <laughs> I am so happy that you asked me this one because I haven't been able to write about it yet, but um, I am really I am really interested in it. Okay, so last week I started hearing this. Um, you know, this word, the sort of like word on the street was, this is an outrage. The district has spent $3 million for brand new, like really nice Herman Miller Aaron chair type furniture for the central office. And meanwhile, and this, it certainly is correct, that like there are schools that in Portland that are, you know, old and aging and showing their age. And some of them are not, um, you know, in the best of conditions. And, um, and we know this, and we've probably all seen it in our kids classroom, you've looked up and you've seen like, I haven't, oh, seen, the any, ceilings. I, I haven't seen any Herman Miller in my kids class. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but um, a little bit of a deeper dive into that revealed that actually that money that th- it was about $3 million. And it was a came from the um, bond money. And it was for furniture for um, newly opened schools, including Kellogg Middle School and Lincoln High School, which if you're opening a brand new high school, you do, uh, or middle school, you do have to furnish it. And um, there was furniture that was donated and came at no cost, if I'm understanding correctly, to central office. So I, I think that it is, um, this is part of what makes the PPS budget so kind of impenetrable, because anybody who's tried to decipher it knows that like everything is line itemed out. And I think the teachers definitely have a point when they say like, hey, this is not transparent. What what does support services mean, for example? So um, in this particular case, um, the district chief of the chief of staff to the superintendent, Jonathan Garcia, took the time on Twitter to debunk the furniture scandal. Um, And and, um, I think it's gotten a little less traction since then. Hmm. Julia Silverman, any final thoughts or comments before we wrap this conversation up? Well, as I said, they're bargaining still. And um, I really, really hope they get somewhere. But if they don't, um, my son's looking for babysitting gigs. Shane turned us down. But um, if anybody out there listening is looking for a very responsible 15-year-old to babysit their kids during any strike, hit me up. You know where to find me. Julia, thanks so much. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. If you like this show, give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps people find the show and tell a friend, help spread the word. The best way to support our journalism and stories like this one is with a subscription to the Oregonian Oregon Live. You can do that at OregonLive.com slash pod support. Until next time.